Please turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15, we're actually looking at the whole chapter here. Last week we went over chapter 12 and we seen God's call of Abraham. Just to remind you what those verses said, chapter 12 verses 1 to 3 The scripture said, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. We went over those passages last week. God's call to Abraham or Abram at this time, he hasn't has had his name switched yet to Abraham. That is still to come. But the Lord has called this man out of Ur of the Chaldeans. He is, he is calling him to a land that he doesn't know. Uh, this is a pure act of God's grace in calling Abraham because we had learned previously last week within other passages of Scripture that Abraham's father and his his household at this particular time served other gods and then they were called by the true and the living god this was an act of god's grace out of all those on the earth god called abraham and he would establish covenant with abraham he would make abraham certain promises as he had said previously i'm going to bless you and you all the families of the earth are going to be blessed and we had looked at how this was a continuation as well of the promise that was given back in Genesis 3.15 of the Redeemer. The Redeemer's coming, and He's coming through now, Abraham, as God is making His covenant with Abraham. And it's going to be in Abraham that all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. The promised Redeemer would come through him. We had looked at some of those things, Abraham's faith. Um, We looked at uh, how... How what Abraham, God's calling of Abraham and his faith and, and how he responded and all of those things, how it mirrors exactly how we are even today. We're called, we're regenerated, we're, we're walking in faith, we walk in obedience, and the way in which we worship is based on what we know of God. So we went over a number of those things last week, and tonight we are looking really at a lot of the covenant stipulations once again being reiterated. And this is an extraordinary account in the life of Abraham. This is, as well, well, let me just read this. This uh, one uh, theologian said this, that this chapter is regarded in the history of exegesis right down to the present as the very heart of Abraham's story. This chapter tonight. Because something amazing happens within this passage of Scripture that is reiterated in the New Testament. Actually, a few things are reiterated in the New Testament, speaking of Abraham's faith, but also of this covenant promise that the Lord makes. And we're, we're looking at this, this passage in which the Lord makes an oath to Abraham, and he swears by his own self that he will bring this to pass. 
And this is reiterated by the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 6. There are other things in here as well that demonstrate that the salvation in, in Abraham's day was the same as our salvation today. Because Abraham is going to be justified by his faith. But we see a number of those things in there. But <clears throat> we see uh, the, the covenant stipulations, the covenant blessings that the Lord is lavishing upon Abraham. And they are important for us to understand because the very things that he is promising Abraham, we have the privilege of being heirs of this promise. That's why it is needful for us to understand this man in redemptive history and how what happens here indeed applies to us and is used in the New Testament a number of times to emphasize God's, God's truth and, and, and God's majesty and, and the salvation of sinners and all of that. So we're going to jump right in here in Genesis chapter 15 and we're going to read the full chapter. If you would, please stand for the reading of God's word. And let us always remember that this is indeed the inspired, inerrant, authoritative, infallible words of the living God. And when we say inspired, we mean God breathed. These are the very words of God. Genesis chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer the, of Damascus. And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you were able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. He said, O Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? So he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these things to him and cut them in two and laid each half opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds. The birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, and Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed four hundred years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. It came about when the sun had set, that it was very dark. And behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenite and the Kenizzite and the Cadmonite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Rephaim 
and the Amorite, and the Canaanite, and the Girgashite, and the Jebusite. Let's pray together. Gracious God, thank you for this portion of your word. Thank you for the great promise that you made to your servant Abraham, of which we are the heirs according to the promise. A promise that you made in which you cannot lie. Thank you for that great encouragement of the scripture that ensures us, gives us that great assurance that what you have promised you will bring to pass. Father, teach us what we need to understand from this passage. Let us apply it to our lives. Let the Spirit of God uh, cause great adoration within us as we move through these verses. May you be glorified in our hearts and Christ be magnified uh, before our very eyes, our eyes of faith. To you be the praise, the glory, and the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So a few things have happened since we were really introduced to Abraham in chapter 12. Some things that perhaps had prompted him, once again, to become fearful. Maybe that was why it it was necessary that the Lord appeared to him once again, to encourage him, to strengthen him. Because perhaps things that had happened previously may have led Abraham to think, Maybe this isn't happening because the circumstances that are occurring right now don't seem to be in line in what God had said to me. And the very things that I'm referring to is on into chapter 12, there was a famine in the land that led Abraham or drove Abraham into Egypt. While he was there in Egypt, and this is something that many of us were probably familiar with. When they go to Egypt, he said to his wife, You're a beautiful woman. And when the Egyptians see you, they're going to desire you, and then they're going to want to kill me. So if anybody asks, you're my sister. So that's exactly what happened. So what ended up occurring was that Pharaoh's officials saw her, spoke of her to Pharaoh about how beautiful she was. And so... He takes her into his house. He treats Abram very well for for her sake. And as the text tells us in chapter 12, he gives him sheep and oxen and donkeys, male and female servants and female donkeys and camels. He doesn't realize that this is Abraham's wife. Abraham is fearful for his life, so he lies, says that she is his sister, which in all actuality she is. She is his half-sister. But this is to save his own life. But what ends up happening is the text tells us that the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Pharaoh commanded his his men concerning him, and they escorted him away with his wife and all that belonged to him. So here's uh, one of the first things that ended up happening to Abram after the Lord had called him, after the Lord graciously bestows this covenant blessing on him. He goes to Egypt. He's fearful for his life. He, he tries to, to say, well, she's only my sister. Pharaoh is struck with plagues. And then he ends up having to leave Egypt 
in humiliation. And then what happens? Well, then he has his nephew Lot with him, and their herdsmen are in conflict with one another, and so they get together and they say, okay, we can't, we can't keep together anymore. We have to part ways. So Abram tells Lot, choose whatever part of the land that you want. So Lot looks over and he sees how great that Sodom and Gomorrah look. He says, I'll take that over there. And then Abraham takes the other. What ends up happening then after this, this division that occurs between he and his nephew is that there are certain kings of the east that make war against the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah and some other kings. And so those kings come in and they defeat them and then they, they take a bunch of captives and they take a bunch of possessions and Lot is among those that is taken captive. And so Abram gathers his servants, gathers an army, and he goes out to fight against these kings that have taken his nephew and he ends up defeating them, bringing back Lot, bringing back the possessions and, and then other captives as well. And this is actually an instance in which we meet this mysterious high priest of the Lord, which is Melchizedek, there in chapter 14. Melchizedek is only said to be the king of Salem, who brought out bread and wine, and he praised, he's a priest of the Most High God. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tenth of all. Melchizedek is a very central figure as well within the book of Hebrews, as well as in the Psalms, because Jesus is said to be a priest after the order of Melchizedek. That is for another discussion. Uh, we went over that when we were going through uh, the epistle to the Hebrews. <clears throat> but after he meets Melchizedek, Abraham tithes him a tenth of all that he had. Abraham does say to the king of Sodom that the Lord has taken care of me. I don't want anything from you. So these are the circumstances that have happened thus far with Abraham. He's put in a fearful situation. He lies to try to get out of it. And then he's humiliated in the end. He has this dissension with his nephew, a nephew who then is taken captive. And then he has to gather an army to go out and to get him and to bring him back. And so it seems as if perhaps... This is, this is what is necessitating the Lord appearing to him once again to say, I am with you. Don't be fearful, because that's exactly what he says to Abraham. The very first thing that occurs after this, after these things, in verse 1 of chapter 15, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And here's the words that God said. Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Now, if the Lord is saying this to Abram, then it is probably implied there that he is fearful. Perhaps he's confused. Perhaps he doesn't know why these things are happening when the Lord said, I'm going to give you all this land. And then you have these kings of the east who come and he, they conquer these, these kings over here and take his nephew. What is that all about? But what does he say to Abram? And it is very apparent uh, when the Lord says to him that I am a shield to you. Do not fear. That the Lord has demonstrated that he is indeed a shield to Abraham. He is the one protecting Abraham. He is the one keeping Abraham. 
He kept him from being killed by the Egyptians, by Pharaoh, and he allowed him to defeat these other kings in order to bring back his nephew. It is a demonstration that the Lord is saying to him, I am with you. Look at these things thus far. Maybe Abram's thinking, how can this be God's plan? How can this be God's blessings to me when all these things have been happening? And that is a natural thing to think, because that's what we often think too. If the Lord has made certain promises to us, and then things seem to go a different way, or we, we have a lot of obstacles in the way, we think automatically, well, how can this be part of God's plan? How can this be part of God's blessings to me? But it's often in those times that the Lord is demonstrating Himself to you in the sense of showing you, I am with you. Through the difficulties, I am with you because it's me bringing you through these. It's my power in you. You know, one of the amazing things of Scripture is to show us all through the Scripture of how we ought to be viewing the difficulties and the circumstances of life as a demonstration of God's presence with us, His power working in us, His strength being supplied to us, and His grace and His mercy always being with us as well to lift up our countenance towards Him. And reiterating the promises that He has for us, the continued promises of God, even in this life in which when we're going through the times, perhaps the Lord brings back to our remembrance. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You're mine. I'm showing my presence to you through the things that you are experiencing. Abraham didn't go out and defeat these kings that just... You know, defeated this great army over here. And then you have Abraham, the Hebrew, who just gathers some of his servants and then goes and defeats them. That doesn't make any sense. How can that be? Because the Lord is showing him, I am your shield. You depend upon me. Don't depend upon your own devices. Don't depend upon your own thinking. Your own reasoning. I am with you. He says to Abram, the reward will be very great. The experiences you endure now pale in comparison to the reward that will indeed be very great. The reward perhaps of, of descendants, of land, of blessing, the things that God has been promising him. The great reward of knowing that through you, in your seed, is the coming Messiah. You are the one chosen. That in you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. In you, whereas the, the, the nations have rebelled against the Lord, it's going to be through your seed that He's going to reconcile them back. That's amazing. What a great reward He had. He didn't get to see the full uh, promise itself being fulfilled. But he did get to experience such great things even during his life. And then here's this great exchange that, that occurs here. So Abram says, O Lord God, what will you give me? I'm childless. 
The heir of my house is Eliezer. He's a servant in my house. Maybe he's going to be my heir. Is that who you have in mind? Because Abraham and Sarai are up in age. They're, they're past the time of childbearing. So maybe it's, maybe it's him. And that's a, a common custom at the time. You know, you can adopt somebody to be your heir. We see that a lot, you know, even years and years later, uh, that that was still being done by the Romans. Roman Caesars would adopt someone in order to be their son, to be their heir. But Abraham seems to be trying to reason in himself what the Lord had said beforehand. Maybe this is the way he's going to go about it. The Lord had actually said to Abram back in chapter 13, verse 14, The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. The Lord has said that a number of times already, a few times already. Your descendants. That should have been a light bulb going off to say, okay, they're literally going to be my descendants because the Lord is saying this. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. He's already said this. And so when Abram begins to reason once again, the circumstances don't look like maybe this is how the Lord's going to do this. So is it going to be Eliezer that's going to be my heir? You know, he's, he's one born in my house. I can adopt him and he can be my heir. But the scripture tells us, then behold, stop, look, consider this. The word of the Lord came to him saying, this man will not be your heir. But one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. Now, we have a little bit more specifics given where Abraham should have known these things prior. The Lord plainly tells him, he's coming from your own body. Your body is up in age, your wife is up in age. What is he showing him? I'm the God who can do it all. I'm your shield. I'm your protection. I'm your strength. I'm the God who's going to do something that is impossible. Impossible with man. Impossible in the realm of man. But he's showing his power in what he is able to do to take of this man and his wife that are past the age of childbearing and to grant him really a miracle child. Isaac is a miracle child. We'll get to him later. But he takes Abram out. And just like he did before in chapter 13, instead of counting the dust of the earth, he takes him outside. He says, now look toward the heavens. Count the stars if you're able to count them. So shall your descendants be. Now, he is encouraging him. He's consoling him. He is giving that great comfort that only God can give to reiterate, these are the promises, Abraham. These are the things that I told you, and these are the things that I will bring to pass. Now, 
Look up at the stars. See the majesty of the heavens. See all the beauty of the stars. Can you count them? So shall your descendants be. Reaffirming his faith is what is taking place here. Now he may have still questioned how the Lord was going to fulfill his promises. But we read these wonderful words in verse 6. Then he believed in the Lord. And he reckoned it to him as righteousness. It was credited to him as righteousness. It was imputed to him as righteousness. Now why is this very important? Because this is exactly Paul's argument in Romans. That Abraham was justified by faith. And that's exactly what's being presented to us. What was it that occurred? Abraham believed. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, the Apostle Paul really goes into this a whole lot more in Romans chapter 4. But this is his point. This is, this is who he's using as an example to say, we are justified by faith. Abraham was justified by faith. No one's justified by the works of the law. Abraham came way before the law, and he was justified by faith. Why would it all of a sudden change with Moses and then go back to this? That doesn't make any sense. In Romans chapter 4, just listen, listen to these words. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He's using Abram, Abraham as the example of justification by faith. Justification by faith alone. That is one of the hallmarks of Orthodox Christianity is this teaching that permeates all of scripture. You are justified by faith alone. Declared not guilty by faith alone. Because through faith, it's credited to you as righteousness. He speaks of David. Gives an example of David. But he goes on to say this. Verse 9 of Romans 4. Is this blessing then on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also? For we say, faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Now, not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised, that righteousness might be credited to them. Now, all that language is contrasting justification by faith According to the and contrasting it with the works of the law. The idea is, is that you have to be circumcised in order to be the true people of God. You have to keep to the law in order to be the true people of God. And Abraham's or in Paul, or excuse me, um, the, the apostle Paul is saying, Abraham came before the law. This covenant with Abraham came before the, the, the sign of circumcision was given, and yet it was credited to him as righteousness. It was his faith that brought justification. 
The things that come thereafter are part of the obedience of Abraham because of his faith, not in order to gain his faith. For the promise of Abraham or to his descendants that he would be the heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is nullified. For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there is no violation. For this reason, it is by faith in order that it might be, may be in accordance with grace so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only of those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Hmm. As it is written, a father of many nations have I made you. In the presence of him whom he believed, even God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Now, we'll get back to this father of many nations thing in a moment. But here's Abraham's thoughts. This is the disposition of Abraham as this is going on back in Genesis 15. In hope against hope, he believed so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was, he was also able to perform. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. This is, this is the Apostle Paul taking us back to, to the time that this is going on with Abraham. And he's giving us that inside understanding of what's going on in the mind and the heart of Abraham as he is speaking to the Lord on this matter. He contemplates his own body. He contemplates the deadness of Sarah's womb. And in hope against hope, he believes He believes and it's credited to him as righteousness. He doesn't waver in unbelief. He grows strong in faith. He's assured of what God has promised he's able to perform. Paul uses him again in Galatians to reference that verse again. Chapter 15, verse 6. He uses it again in Galatians. Why is it important? Why is it important in the New Testament? Well, Paul finishes it off in Romans chapter 4. Now, not only for his sake was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. And then the passage we read opening up the service tonight. Therefore, in light of these truths, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul uses Abraham as the example of justification by faith. He gives more insight into what's going on in this dialogue between Abram and the Lord to demonstrate that it's Abraham's faith in which the righteousness is credited to him. And this is an important thing to understand too. What righteousness is imputed to him? The only righteousness that is imputed to sinners. Which is the righteousness of the Lord Jesus. Even prior to the coming of Christ. 
the righteousness that is imputed to all who believe is the righteousness of the Lord Jesus. There is no other. Abraham was saved by the works of the Lord Jesus Christ that he would bring about at God's appointed time from 1800 to 2,000 years later. No one was ever saved in the Old Testament by any other means but by faith in the Lord. And because of that faith in the Lord that the Lord has wrought within their hearts, He's brought it about, and we've seen that in chapter 12, how Abraham, along with his family, they're, they're pagans, they're idolaters, until the true God calls to him. And when He calls to Abram, just as it is for believers now, regenerating the heart of this man, granting him faith, Enabling him to come and walk in obedience and to delight in the true and living God. So it is with those who are heirs according to the promise, which is us. This is why this is important. When the Lord is promising Abram that so shall your descendants be as the stars of heaven and as the dust of the earth. What is he talking about? Well, he's physically talking about the Israelites that would come through him. But... He's also talking about those who are of the faith of Abraham. In Galatians, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, excuse me, verse 7. Right after he quotes Genesis 15, 6. He says this, therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abram, Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. He goes on to say, verse 27 of Galatians 3. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. How is it that Abraham can be the father of many nations? Because it's the faith of Abraham that is... Credited to the rest of them. It's through faith, justification, just as it was with Abraham. He was the prime example. That's why we sing that song. You know, it's so amazing to me that even in many churches, they sing that song, you know, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. And I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. And then they sing this song all the time. But then when you begin to ask them, so, is the church, Jews and Gentiles, the people of God, you know, one group? Nope. You have Israel over here, and you have the church over here. Two separate entities, two separate programs, and then they go back into the church. Father Abraham, hey man, he's a, and, you, and you think, 
this light bulb ought to be ought to be going off here. But that's what his songs that's what the song's talking about. Father Abraham has many sons because we're heirs according to the promise. We're of Abraham's descendants, counted as his descendants because of faith in Christ. That is why the Apostle Paul labors that point in Romans, in Ephesians, Galatians, that the Lord has broken down the wall of partition which separated Jews and Gentiles. And if you went into the temple area, there was a wall there that Gentiles had to stay back on this side. This is the court of the Jews, and no one can enter in here except the Jews. And Paul is saying, figuratively speaking, that Christ has tore down that wall, and He's taken both groups, Jews and Gentiles, and He's made them one new man. That's in Ephesians chapter 2. Not one new man with two heads. One new man, one group, which is the body of Christ, which is the church of the living God. Paul even calls the church the Israel of God in Galatians 6. The Lord doesn't have two different programs. He doesn't have one love for these folks over here and then one love for these over here. They're all one group. One body. One church. And the father of us all is Abraham. We receive the righteousness of Christ just as Abraham did. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. We believe. And through our faith, we are justified in the sight of God because the righteousness of Christ is credited to us. Abraham is the example. That's why Paul uses him over and over again to demonstrate this very truth. All of God's people, always from the beginning, were justified by faith. Not by the works of the law. And the writer of Hebrews really goes into that point. That the blood of bulls and goats were not sufficient. Only through Christ. And I think it's in Hebrews chapter 9. He even speaks of the blood of Christ being applied to them. That's why it's important to look at Abraham. It's important to see what God is doing in Abraham. Because the things that God is saying to him and promising him. We are reaping the benefits of. As the people of God. Now this next set of verses here, in light of all of these things, in light of Abraham's faith, in light of the righteousness credited to him, all of that which is amazing already, here's what happens now. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. A reiteration by the Lord. And by the way, this is often what we read within the Old Testament especially. As, as the ground of our obedience and the ground of our delight in the Lord and our adoration for Him and our service to Him is what the Lord has done for us. So, He says to Abraham, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans. I shine the light of the gospel in your heart. 
What does he say to the next generations thereafter? I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Jacob. I'm the God of Isaac. What does he then say after they come out of captivity? I am the God who brought you out of the iron furnace. There is always a reiteration of who he is and what he's done before you get to the part of, in light of what I've done, now walk in obedience. Because that's the preface of the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. I am the God who brought you out of Egypt by my mighty hand. Don't have no other gods before me, etc., etc. There's always that reiteration. And this is no different for the people of God even today. As the basis of understanding how we ought to live before God and how we ought to be serving the Lord and all of these things, we have to remember that God is saying to us, I am the Lord who brought you out of darkness into the marvelous light of my Son. Therefore, present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. There's always the therefores within the New Testament epistles especially to say in light of what God has done, this is what you do. And actually when you look at Romans, the first 11 chapters of Romans is, this is what God did. This is how God has blessed you. You're justified. You're sanctified. You're elected. All of this. You're going to be glorified. And then by the time you get to chapter 12, then you get the therefore in light of all the 11 chapters beforehand. That's a common thing that the Lord has always done from the beginning, reminding us, reminding all of His people, I am the God who done this. In light of what I've done, now do this. So, that's just something to remember as you work your way through the Old Testament of how the Lord reiterates those great truths. I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. So here's Abram. He said, O Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? Now, we may look at this and say, well, this is another instance of him being weak in faith. But we just read a moment ago that he believed the Lord. So what is this? One writer says, far from being a symptom of unbelief or doubt, it expressed Heartfelt longing to see God fulfill His covenant promises. That's what's going on here. And asking for a sign was not something that was uh, not a, a, an uncommon thing within the Old Testament. You see Gideon doing it, Hezekiah done it, and actually uh, Ahaz is rebuked because he didn't ask for it in Isaiah chapter 7. So here's what the Lord says. The Lord is going to condescend and enter into a practice that was done in the ancient Near East at this time. So he tells Abram, bring me these five animals. You're going to cut them in half. You're going to set them on either side, except the birds. He doesn't cut the birds in half. And what would happen in that day, this was, this was a blood covenant. This was a pact that this was a way of, of ratifying a covenant, uh, this agreement, this binding agreement, that they would cut these animals and they would place them on either side and the two that were making the covenant together would walk through them. And it was signifying, may this be done to me if I do not keep my oath. These animals that are cut to the side, may this be done to me if I don't keep what I'm saying. So that was the practice. 
It was done to seal a promise that was made at this particular time. And the Lord actually brings judgment upon the people of God in Jeremiah 34 because they had taken part in a blood covenant like this, promising to to honor the Lord's law and to let the slaves go after seven years, all of that. And because they didn't, the Lord says, you all pass through the covenant, pass through the halves. And now I'm going to bring judgment on you because you didn't do what you said. As in Jeremiah 34, I'm obviously giving a, a quick synopsis of that. You need to go back and read it, though. So, notice something. The Lord says to Abram, The sun's going down, a deep sleep falls upon Abram. Behold, great terror and and great darkness fell upon him. And that, that kind of a sleep that is referred to here is the same wording that's used earlier in Genesis when when Adam fell into a deep sleep at the creation of Eve. So this great terror and this great darkness falls upon Abram after whatever time it was. Maybe it was induced by the Lord, his very presence, being in the immediate presence of Abram. And he says this, and this gives us insight too why it is that we find the children of Israel in Egypt. In Exodus, God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. This is why we find the children of Israel in Egypt Slaves for 400 years because the Lord said to Abram, they're going to go to this land and they're going to be slaves for 400 years. Afterward, he's going to bring them out. In the fourth generation, they will return here to this land that he has given. For the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. Now, this is, this is a very interesting thing. As we work our way through Genesis, we're going to find that in, in the story of Joseph. Joseph is sold by his brothers. He ends up serving one master. He ends up in prison. He ends up finally in uh, Pharaoh's house. And, and then he's in Pharaoh's court. Now he's going to be like the second in command over Egypt by the time we're getting to the end of Genesis. His brothers come there because there's a great famine in the land. They bring their father there. They end up moving there. And they take over the land of Goshen. And that's exactly where they're going to be when you start Exodus, except it's going to be some hundred years later, however long it was. They've multiplied. That's how they got to Egypt, was through this sovereign hand of God gathering them there because of a famine in the land and by placing Joseph in the position that he was. But here's the reasoning, or part of the reasoning, why the Lord is doing this. One, He's going to show His people his covenant promises and his covenant blessings, and he's going to demonstrate his power as he brings them out of Egypt. But also he says very interesting language there that the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. So instead of them populating the land right now, he says, you're not doing it yet. Because the people that are in this land, these evil people, that he names here the Amorites and the Girgashites and the Hittites and all these other people groups, their iniquity isn't full yet. 
He is going to allow that to fester and to continue on and then performing their rituals, children, child sacrifices and all the vile things that they did. And then when he brings his people out with a mighty hand in, in Exodus and he's demonstrating his power and his glory to them, he's going to use them, at least the next generation under Joshua, as an instrument of his divine wrath in rendering justice to these people groups as they conquer the land. So there's a lot there to look at when you're looking at the sovereign hand of God. So that's going to give us some foundation and some insight as we move forward. But back to this covenant. We read this. Verse 17, it came about when the sun had set that it was very dark and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants, I have given this land. From the river of Egypt, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. Abram did not pass along with the Lord in between these, these pieces, as was the custom. When you had two people making an agreement, both of them are promising for us to keep this promise... I'm going to keep my oath lest this happen to me. The other guy is saying, I'm going to keep my oath lest this happen to me. But the Lord passes by by himself. He passes through his presence in a special way, passes through these pieces without Abraham. And what is, what is, what is the implication in that? What is he demonstrating? Well, we understand from the writer of Hebrews that he's making an oath and he's swearing by one that by his own self because there's no one greater than him to swear by. That he is going to perform exactly what he says and it's not dependent upon Abraham for the Lord to accomplish the very things that he's promising. That's why Abraham's not alongside him. Because the Lord's saying, you stay over there. I'm passing through these and I am showing you that this is all me. It's all dependent upon me. That's what the Lord is saying to him. Nothing having to do with you. I have said it. I will bring it to pass. And that is so amazing. And so comforting. And so encouraging. Because the divine covenant promises. Are dependent solely on the Lord. And that doesn't change with the coming of the new covenant. All the covenant promises as it was then are dependent upon the faithfulness of the Lord to keep His promise, not on our ability to stay in the favor of God. And that's good news. How often do we fail to be faithful unto the Lord? How often do we... Do we blatantly sin against the Lord and yet His covenant promises to us are yes and amen. Never dependent upon any one of us because He is saving us in His Son who was the obedient one to show us the riches of His glory and the riches of His majesty 
not based upon us, but based on His ability to preserve us and to bring us along. That's why Abraham is used as the example that he is. Because everything correlates into the New Testament. That's why Paul uses him. That's why James uses him as an example of faith. Because when you look at these passages and you see these amazing things that are happening, this is the God who is promising by his own self that he is going to bless the nations in Abraham. And this trickles down to us because this promise is still in effect. This promise didn't go away. And he swore by himself that he will bring this to pass. He will never change his mind and say, okay, I made that then. Things have changed now. People are more rebellious now. I'm done. The Lord says, I have sworn by myself and God cannot lie. But we are heirs according to the promise. He will preserve us. He will protect us because he is also our shield in our protection in this world. He is the one who comes alongside us to say, don't trust in your own devices when it seems as if the circumstances are leading you to think something different other than what I've said. You're dependent upon me, not upon yourself. So stop trusting in other things. Stop trusting in your own devices. Stop trusting in your own strength, of which you don't have anyway. And trust in the living and the true God to bring you through this world, to bring you through these circumstances, to give you the joy that you desire in your life because you reflect upon the God that He is, the God who cannot lie, the God who keeps faithfulness even when we're not, and the God who will preserve us to the end. That's the God we serve. And how amazing and glorious He really is. We will continue on looking at the life of Abraham Next week, Lord willing. Let's stand if you would. And let's pray together and we'll be dismissed. Gracious God of our salvation, again, how we thank you. How we honor you tonight. Thank you for the amazing blessings that you have bestowed upon us in Christ Jesus, calling us and regenerating us and justifying us and sanctifying us and on and on and on. All the things that you have accomplished by your Son in our hearts. Thank you for your continued presence with us, your continued strength, your continued love. Even in spite of ourselves, you still love us. Thank you that you're not like us. Your love is not conditional for those that are in Christ. There will never be a time in which your love will no longer be with us. Thank you for that. That great assurance, that sure and steady anchor that we have in Christ. Father, continue to teach us of who you are through the pages of your word as we look in the life of Abraham and we see your majesty and your glory, your great splendor. Father, let our delight in you just grow and grow and grow even more. To you be the praise, the glory, and the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's children said, Amen.
Thank you for your attention, and you are dismissed.